Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp from the replant headquarters in the garage in Jacksonville, Florida, and the upstairs next to your daughter's bedroom loft in St. Louis. Yes, we are. And it's a beautiful day here, Jimbo. And I'm sure it's a great day in Jacksonville as well. It's a great 80 degree day. We're starting to swing into that part where we get a 40 degree swing each day. It'll be around 40 degrees in the morning when you wake up, about 80 degrees in the afternoon. So I am due for a sinus infection any day now. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound very fun. And uh, No, no. At some point, the weather will get me. At some point, just the weather will impact and uh, the pollen and I'll get it. It just happens, you know. Well, we are in that phase right now where... There is green dust all over the cars and my deck and my porch and all of those sorts of things. But fortunately, I went through my really bad pollen spell a couple of weeks ago and uh, and I'm holding out. And, and when the tree pollen hits, I'll get another blast. But I think I'm over the worst of it. And by the way, thanks for turning me on to the liquid gel Benadryl tablets. Mm. I, I've been taking those from time to time and medicating myself with those. And it's been really good. And even though I can take two legally and the dosage says I can take two, if I take two Jimbo, it's not good. Are you out? Does, it, does it conk you out? It doesn't conk me out, but do you remember when we first got computers and we had a hard time seeing the mouse and where it would go? So you would put a ghosting or a trail on the mouse. That's kind of me. That's kind of me on a double dose of Benadryl. I move <laughs> and then the rest of me catches up. Yeah, no, I get that. I get there. It, there's definitely a groggy feeling that can come with that. I think I've developed a little bit of a a, a tolerance to Benadryl since I developed a nut allergy uh, about ten years ago. And so when I first got my nut allergy, I would always take Benadryl if I started to have a reaction. And at first, that that meant I was out for the rest of the day. I mean, whatever whatever was on my calendar for the rest of the day was done. I was, it was not going to happen anymore. I remember going to a staff meeting lunch with the church staff where I was serving at the time. And we went and got Thai food, which I've just learned. I just can't, I can't, I can't eat Thai food. There's nothing at a Thai restaurant that doesn't have nuts in it. And, and so I asked the waitress like five times, does this have any nuts? No, no nuts, no nuts. Does this have any nuts? No, no nuts. Okay. Okay. I take a bite of it and I said, Hey, what kind of sauce is this? She goes, Oh, peanut sauce. I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Well, I just looked at the guys and I was like, I got to take a bit of drill and uh, probably going to be done for the day. So <laughs> you tapped out. <laughs> I tapped out. You know that I was like, I do. But now I can take a bit of drill and it barely, it, it'll help me with any allergic reactions, but it doesn't really make me very groggy anymore. Well, you've arrived at a level of Benadryl resistance that is admirable and uh, desirable uh, for those of us who still feel like we we go into ghost mode when we take Benadryl. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, I'm excited to be back on the boot camp with you. I'm glad you're feeling a little bit better. I know you've been under the weather, and uh, you're. I think you said earlier today you're wet like 87.5 percent back. No, let's let we factor it up. 97.7. 
97.7. That's pretty good. I mean, at, at how long do you stay at 97.7 until you just kind of realize maybe that's as far as we're going to get? I mean, that's uh, – <laughs> I think you better ask Barb on that one. <laughs> it, it, it may not – yeah, it may not get any better after this. Who knows? It may not. We may have reached the pinnacle and it's all downhill from here. <laughs> well, I, I'm excited to continue the conversation that we started last week on building congregational momentum, this idea of overcoming a resistance to change. And you've put together this great change equation, holy discontent plus vision plus first steps plus leadership is greater than a resistance to change is how you overcome a resistance to change. So last week we talked about the idea of holy discontent. And just to recap that a little bit, uh, and I really appreciate that you you started there. And for me, the first time I heard you present this, that's what really stuck out to me was that idea of holy discontent being more than just a sense of urgency, right? And, uh, and so you defined holy discontent as the unquenchable spirit-initiated conviction that things are not as they should be, and that they must change. I think it's in uh, several books that it talks about how basically we got to get to the point that the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Absolutely. And many churches that are plateaued and in decline just aren't there yet. And, you know, Clifton will say that they anesthetize themselves to pain by doing any number of things, like getting busy, doing the administration of a church, protecting and preserving particular forms of style of worship and, and programs and all those sorts of things. So we can do a lot of things to ignore ourselves uh, or to make ourselves ignore the pain, right? That that if you ever watch a video on SEAL team training, one of the things they'll do is they'll teach a guy when they do that cold test. I don't know if you've seen that, but they take them out when it's cold and spray them down with cold water and it's windy and they're just freezing, but they'll teach them to, you know, do some something with their fingers, do a friction point with their fingers or their toes and just concentrate on that and ignore the cold. And so they kind of do that. Well, churches do that all the, all the time. Right. And so we've got to we've got to help uh, just foster a sense of holy discontent that's led by the spirit that's informed by uh, biblical truth. But we we got to do something else. And that's where vision comes in. Right. So, yeah. The next part of it, the definition of the vision portion of the change equation is a clear and compelling God-given picture of the unique call placed upon a local body of believers to bring glory to God by obeying his leadership, right? So a couple things here. Um, one is, is, you know, there's my vision for the church, and then there's God's vision for the church. And, and as a replanter coming into a church— the first thing that you're probably going to have is your vision for the church, right? Immediately. So like, if I were to ask you, when you remember the first day that you walked into uh, the church that you replanted there in Jacksonville, what are some of the first things that you're like, yep, that's got to change. Like immediately you're like, yeah, that's got to change. Do you remember what a couple of those were? Yeah. So I, I would say a couple of those things were facilities related as I got in there, the general odor of the place. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> was was in, in need of something that would improve it carpet dark wood paneling uh, so they had the walls where there's dark wood paneling on the, the bottom half and then just white on uh the top half not off-white not beige just white 
Kind of like an Oreo cookie, like something like a dark layer and then a light layer. Yeah. Yeah. So just a dark layer on the bottom half of wood paneling and then just plain white up top with uh, with blue carpet, like deep blue that had rips and holes and uh, all sorts of things like that. So uh, immediately there was a lot of facility things I saw needed to be changed. And then in our first services, just some of the service order stuff, how we would do uh, general announcements. And then we, there was just like an open mic announcement time after general announcements. Like, <laughs> yes. Like, I hey, remember. Yes. <laughs> anybody else? Anybody else got any announcements? Anybody else got anything they want to share? Right. I actually got interrupted when I was doing announcements. Like the first Sunday after the interim pastor left and, you know, installed me as a pastor. And the next Sunday I show up. And I'm doing the announcements. And then this lady raises her hand during the announcement time. And I don't recognize her, but she's, she just starts talking and she starts announcing things. And I guess that was the custom <laughs> at our church too. So, <laughs> and so all that to say, there are a lot of things that immediately come to our attention that have to change, but you know what? We could change the carpet. We could change the paint color. We could change the way we do announcements and the church could actually not change in, in any substantial way. And I think this really is the heart behind this step is what is it that God wants your church to do? What has he called your church to do as he's expressed, you know, just uh, the vision of you becoming a functioning and vital, vibrant body and a gospel proclaiming church there. What is your unique call that's placed on that church in that local place to bring glory to God? Because I think there's, there's, there are things that churches across North America that we do in common that we could find across any church, typical church in North America that's seeking to be healthy and make a difference for Christ. They sing, they do outreach to the community, they do discipleship, mercy ministries, all those sorts of things. But usually there's like a unique thumbprint for your church in particular. And uh, and I think that's what you got to endeavor to discover. Yeah, and I think part of that is is figuring out what what is the unique kind of vision that God has place this church right here where he has placed it in this community. And part of that is understanding the church, the history of the church, the culture of the church, understand, understanding the community, history of the community, culture of the community, uh, culture of the leadership, the people within the church, and how, how do all of those mesh together in a unique moment in history, understanding that part of context is a moment in history, right? A part of context is knowing not just where you're at, but when and at what particular moment. And as you get a good grasp of that, and we've suggested several resources before, like the fourfold panorama that we've done with Keelan Cook and things like that, that can help bring some clarity to how your church can relate well to its community. But not just knowing how does it relate, but what is that vision? What does that look like? What does it look like for your church to actively reach its community for the gospel. Yeah. Part of that is, is really understanding who you are as a people and the resources that God has accumulated there, the passions of the folks that God has assembled there, and then really spending time discussing that and praying through that. And even Jimbo, I, I just like to fill up a whiteboard or a piece of paper or a journal page just to say, what do I know about our community? What do I know about our church? What do I know about the passions that we have? And then what do I know about the, the giftedness and the resources that the people have here? There are times when 
you know, you just got to spend some time writing it out, writing it out and, and asking yourself questions. And then I think what happens sometimes is there are themes that begin to emerge and there are connection points that begin to emerge. And some people do a Venn diagram, you know, they, they chart it all out and say, where do these intersect? And, and all that becomes clear. Do you think that in addition to just sort of writing that out, what would you suggest in terms of if, if we've got a day one or week one or month one, even year one replanter, it's just rolled in there and it's fought through some of the things like the carpet and the smell and the announcements and all those sorts of things. But yet it's still saying, man, I just don't have a definitive understanding of the vision here that God may be drawing us to. What What are some practical ways you might help suggest that they go about connecting with that? Yeah, I think one of the things is try to think through prayerfully and as far ahead as you can realistically and then work backwards from there in a sense of if, you know, maybe you can think, you know, what maybe you maybe you really can't think beyond a year. And so you think, OK, that's fine. What what would success look like in a year? What would it look if, if I could fast forward a year and peek in? And go, man, this is this is what I was hoping would happen. What would that look like? And then kind of work backwards from there. What what are three or four things I need to do over the next four quarters? And then break it down into quarters from there. And then and you know, so as you break it down into quarters from there, you know, you break it down to the next ninety days. You know, what what do I need to accomplish in the next ninety days that helps me get where we're trying to get in a year. That's that's maybe kind of the general vision casting kind of way you can think about that. I think you have to do that one in prayer and two in, in community in that community. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I mean by that is this is not you going up on top of the mountain and receiving the tablets and bringing them down. This is you with, and we talk about in uh, a change leadership series we did before about building a team and this is you and a team of people really sitting down and praying through what what do we hope to see God do in the next year? And what is our part in that? And what does it look like for us to be obedient into that for the next 90 days? And what what are the next five things we need to do in order to help us get there? I love that idea in the sense of discovering and developing a vision in community. I, I think initially in ministry, I had always approached a vision as something that I had to come up with, right? That I was the sole person to, you know, discover it, formulate it, communicate it, and then align people to execute it. And I think what I discovered over time is that God often will will sharpen a vision or sharpen the beginning of a vision that I had through the community of people that he's brought Mm -hmm. around me and to lead with me towards what he has for that church. Because I see I see the, the church from one perspective. I see the community from one perspective. And so I love that idea of developing a vision. And I think early on in our leadership process here, I worked with some, some really high capacity guys. One was a really high capacity medical guy. Another was a, a former military officer and, and a lawyer. And so these guys were real command uh command chain of control, you know, or or chain chain of command and real, you know, top down and all these sorts of things. And I was honestly at a point in my life where I was like, man, my vision right now for my life and, and for my ministry is if I can just get out of bed and write a sermon and survive, Mm -hmm. I'm going to call that 
the vision and that's what I'm going to be successful at. Right. And so I had these guys, this was like two years into our replant, two and a half years. And these guys were like, what's the vision? What's the vision? What's the vision? What's the vision? I'm like, Hey, I think God's called us here to, to discern the vision. And man, that was like, they couldn't do it. They couldn't go there. They couldn't think through that because they were just so kind of locked in that the, the single, the single pastor is the one who only owns the vision. So I think that for me, being much more collaborative in nature, I really struggled in that season and I had to find and wait out some and, and for the Lord to bring some guys and rotate them, rotate those guys out of the leadership team, rotate some other guys in and then some other people for us just to say, look, what has God called us to do here? And what if we pursue that together in prayer and conversation and discover that? So I, I think that maybe if a, a replanter is brand new to the field, is really struggling through that developing a vision initially, man, love your people well, pastor them well, and then find out who among you has a heart and a mind that thinks about the future of mm-hmm. the church, right? Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the key indicators, I think, that somebody might be the right person to to begin to bring into a team and to collaborate with them to develop uh, an idea of what God has for your church. Because if there's somebody else thinking about the future like you're thinking about the future, then that's a good sign that you might have found the right person to bring in the team. And here's what I'd say is I don't know that you have to have a clear vision in the first like 100 days or so or, you know, even mm-hmm. year possibly. It's going to take you a good minute to figure out where you are and what's going on and what is the what is the culture of the church? How can you have a good understanding of the where, awareness of organization as a whole and its role in the community that that takes some some time when when we send missionaries through the imb or or really a lot of organizations that send missionaries overseas to other countries they spend a year to two years just learning language and culture yep before before they really start implementing a whole lot of strategy and if you've got the runway to do it and you're brand new then man take that year or two and be in as many homes as you can. Now, COVID maybe complicates this, maybe doesn't, depending on where you're at. But be on phone calls. Be on, I mean, if, if you're in a church that's dying, then the, the list of people you need to talk to may not be very long. But just do a lot of listening, a lot of asking, and and learn as much as you can about the church and the community from the people that that go there, that live there, walk around the community, and and ask for that kind of stuff. I love that idea. And and I, I think that unfortunately we are an impatient people oftentimes when we're trying to pursue and discover a vision. And we just, we want the, we want the quick success that maybe we've heard others have had. And honestly, Jimbo, there might be a financial reality too, that, you know, we were we've raised funds. We've got to have something happen. We have a, a limited window of opportunity. We feel like to, to do something quickly. But I think on average, most of the most of the folks who end up pastoring replants and doing revitalizations are not drop in a spot, make it happen kind of folks, right? They're people who love the Lord, love people, and then over a period of time, they're able to successfully help that church grow in a pace that's healthy and God honoring. And so I think um, do what you can to fight to fight to uh, love the people well and discern really well what God has called you to, and and then and pursue that after a period of time. One of the things I think I would say also that's important is as you're developing what you believe is the vision that God has for your church in a unique way for that place and time and that, that spot, 
as you begin to talk about that and communicate that, one of the things I think that is a, a good sign that you're heading in the right direction is people get excited about it as you talk about it, right? There's an initial, there's an initial adoption to say, yeah, I could see that. Or, you know what? I really like that idea. Or, you know what? That sounds really awesome. Or even better, you know what? I've had the same thought that this is what we probably should, should do. And, and so there's a resonance there when you begin to unpack the vision that's really key, I would say, in addition to look for people look people who are considering the future, when you share your vision with people, does it create a sense of excitement? And do, is there agreement and is there buy-in when you're communicating it with them? It tests your communication ability, but it also, I think most importantly, tests your clarity of, mm-hmm. of, of understanding who, who the church is, who the people are, and then what in particular maybe God is leading you to do. So uh, those are one of the things I I really, really think that's that's, uh, important. You know, we've looked at Nehemiah a little bit as we've talked about vision and this this talk that I give in building momentum for change in the change equation. Verse five of chapter two, when Nehemiah is broken by the condition of the city and he mourns and he weeps and he prays and he fasts before the Lord, he goes before the king and here's what he says. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. So in essence, what he's doing here is he's laying before kind of this test vision, right? Hey, King, you know, if if I found favor in your sight and if this is pleasing to you, would you send me to the city of my father's that I could rebuild it, right? And so this is a testing of the vision. And of course, we know from reading the book of Nehemiah that the king obviously senses that this is something that God's calling Nehemiah to, and he affirms it and he sends him on his way. And so, you know, next time we pick up on this conversation, we're going to talk about, okay, what do you do in the first steps? But, but I think looking at the development of a vision, seeing who affirms it and seeing the resonance that's developed around it. And then I would say too, that the ones who give the permission to, to go for it are, are the ones you know, whom God is entrusted with the care and the, and the decision-making of the church, that you, you get that group of leaders, or if you have to go before a congregation, you're ultimately asking the congregation to buy into that vision too. And so it's got to be clear, it's got to be compelling, and it really does need to have the fingerprints of God around it for there to be a widespread unity and for success to take place. Yeah, I would say clear, compelling, concise. You you've got to see that this is a word from the, from the Lord that it's inspired by Scripture, but also it, I mean it has to be actionable and applicable. It can't be you know we're going to reach everyone in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, that, I mean that's how what are we gonna what are we gonna do right? There has to be some sort of understandable what what is my part in this? What is my role? How do I how do I serve in obedience in this and. Um, I, mean, I think this is great stuff. Is is, and the thing is, if if people have gained a holy discontentment, then they're going to be hungry for direction, and uh, and the vision helps bring that clarity and direction to be able to take some first steps, as we'll talk about next time. Uh, so the change equation again: holy discontent plus vision plus first steps plus leadership is greater than a resistance to change. See you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, 
and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches, big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.